Welcome to Smart Everything and Us, a series of conversations around our increasingly entangled relationship with digital things. My name is Chris Framberger, and this work has been made possible by the Next Generation Internet Initiative and the University of Aarhus. Today I'm talking to Will Odom, design researcher at the School of Interactive Arts and Technology at Simon Fraser University, Vancouver, Canada. Will has made design his preferred mode of inquiry and uses carefully crafted artifacts to open opportunity spaces for alternative futures and to ask critical questions about which roles technology can have in positively shaping the human condition. At Simon Fraser, he co-directs the Everyday Design Studio and is particularly interested in exploring the notion of slow technology. It is the idea that, contrary to the efficiency push of the digital, technology can allow for creativity, exploration and reflection at speeds that enable us to develop meaningful relationships. In this conversation, we speak about a new smartness of things, one that allows technology to subtly evolve with people over a longer period of time. Will shares how he sees his designs as speculative proposals, as boundary objects that open up a dialogue about new opportunity spaces for technologies in our lives. While some of Will's best-known projects explore how people listen to music, we start talking about his latest work, looking into possible roles of technology in relation to alternative notions of home. While the shiny smart home prospects tell the normative stories of the white middle-class family of four, Many alternative notions of home exist, for which this IoT narrative seems very much out of place. People who live on boats, in vans, in collective housing, are squatters or nomadic pet sitters, may often experience the coarseness of connectivity, or have different concepts of ownership, for which none of the technology is designed for. Will engages in thorny social issues, aiming to provide a glimpse of different futures that open up debates. We talk about how Will often oscillates between the ultimate particular design and the underpinning theory and philosophy in an attempt to understand the relationship between smart everything and us through his design practice. It's fascinating, mindful, deeply engaged and also very beautiful work. Enjoy. Thank you very much for kind of making the time to kind of have that conversation with us. I think it's, it's really amazing um, work that you just presented here. We're both in, in August, I should say at the summer pit. Um, you just gave a talk about slow technology um, and, and your work where you use like a lot of design as a research um, or method of inquiry, kind of figure out what people do with smart technology. And you kind of opened your talk with like this argument that we're overwhelmed already by the, the amount of data that is being shuffled around and collected by a lot of smart things and technologies and that we need to kind of maybe rethink our approach to this. Two months ago, uh, I was at the IoT week here in Aarhus and one number that kind of was uh, very, very present there was 125 billion connected devices should be up by 2030. Um, and, you know, in the face of, of all that data and in the face of how we now seem to be dealing with this data. It's going to speed up. It's, it's going to measure everything. It's, it's going to measure even more than it is measured right now. How do you see you know, what, what that is doing to us as humans and how can we maybe manage these trajectories 
to alternative futures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 that's a, that's a great question. I think that like, I mean, the way that that like. I've been like we've been like approaching it. I mean, just maybe kind of starting with um, you know how is it going to shape us? Is just thinking about like where do we like locate the smartness, and mm -hmm. like within the design of yeah like IoT kind of smart technologies, and also so our work really tries to foreground that the smartness or the interpretation or the kind of creativity resides in like the person and their like and the people and the kind of social context and. And um, not so much in the thing. So in a way, that's like why we tend to like leverage maybe kind of like the capacity of network technologies and large amounts of data, you could say, and all the precision that actually comes with the, the, the huge amounts of like data that we may produce. Um, but then try to like kind of recast it and like maybe like represent it um, and maybe like reintegrate it into people's everyday lives in a way that that's that maintains a sense of... Um, like an openness, the, the capacity for engaging like with it and the thing that manifests it or sometimes that kind of the data and the thing become the same thing um, in a way that, that prompts um, creativity, exploration, you know, reflection. Um, but with the agency really like residing within the person, at least that's like our intent and the smartness of residing there. Um, and also creating things that like you know, beyond just the direct interaction with them, there's a capacity to maybe have them settle among your other, you know, non-smart, like, things, and to really understand that, like, the kind of the smartness and the, the ability for people to, you know, both both consciously and also kind of, un, like, kind of self-consciously manipulate, like, their physical environment and kind of dwelling in home in ways that kind of, like, reflect them and their changing sense of, like, self and sociality and, and you know... Um, and, and to create something that fits maybe within that and actually acknowledge that that's incredibly smart. Mm. That's like where real intelligence is manifested. In. But isn't that sort of like going against the mainstream business model at the moment? It's sort of like the precision and the prediction power of that precision is exactly what is being exploited at the moment a lot and kind of bringing back that... Um, agency to the human or, or this kind of inter power over interpretation uh, would kind of directly go against that business model and, and, and how do we kind of get there I mean how do you persuade businesses to kind of do that yeah I, I that I, I don't I'm not sure I mean I think that like you know one kind of answer would just would just be you know you continue to build out different examples of you know an alternative pathway of possibility and you include different stakeholders in doing that but that's like kind of the actual people that would live with it I mean that's more my kind of concern and or like um, but yeah you can also think about including other kind of stakeholders and explore ex using design artifacts as ways of like opening conversations and you know kind of classically as like a boundary object to kind of create some even if it's not some kind of shared agreed upon consensus at least it's like a place for that's like very concrete and real where you know, maybe a conversation around a possible future could happen. How you actually would persuade, like, kind of, yeah, mainstream kind of the consumer value proposition, like, models, I'm not sure. But I, what I would say, though, is that, I mean, one, thing, one way, so with the whole kind of prediction and, like, tracking and, the, you know, where IoT is going, like, how we kind of ma use all the sensor data that's being collected accurately with, like, machine learning and to just try to, you know, it's, 
it's kind of working towards this totally deterministic, like a like vision of that. At some point, that will, things will be optimal. It will be the ultimate kind of experience of, and you know, then then you as the human will be able to do what you really want to live the good life. You know, these things, and and so I think mean, that that whole kind of vision is is so kind of fraught and like faulty. But I do think that like one of the the ideas of like how do you create technologies that might like change with you over time is like an interesting one. Until so, like the, yeah, within the kind of mainstream consumer driven culture, we see a lot around exactly that. Like if we can just get enough sense data and enough patterns, we can improve accuracy and your smart home technology or technologies in concert will be able to change with you. That's one approach. But I mean, one of the ones that we've been been thinking about is well, you know. Like I think within the, some of the design work that we were just talking about um, at Pitt like earlier today, it was this this idea of like um, you can't create technologies that kind of subtly do still change with you and that are like that may aggregate and kind of ref- and, and um, like your data and kind of become like in a sense like a reflection of you from data that you implicitly like generate that does really change and I think that through particularly with some of the ideas around like temporality and slow technology that creates kind of an interesting like lens or like way of thinking of how you can do that in, in interesting ways that kind of go across time and through time it's kind of it's, it's almost like as if you're speaking of a different kind of smartness right I, I mean i totally agree that what we're seeing the kind of smartness that we now putting into our algorithms is is geared towards a very narrow vision of optimization, right? And and this other smartness of like building meaningful relationships over time, you know, building building smart objects that can do that in response to your 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 you having a relationship with it, right? That would require a very different smartness, and 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 that that's a really interesting interesting notion. Um, it also reminds me of, of like the first day that we had here where we talked about explainable AI where Alan Dix was saying that it's 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 the choices, it's the goals that we kind of put AI to task uh, with it that matter, right? And and you can obviously use AI and machine learning a lot to kind of optimize whatever you're measuring, but then you know the choices that you make in you know what to optimize. That is what really matters, and maybe this is something that will matter more in the future because uh, there's there's less you know left for us humans to kind of be mm-hmm. somehow when we just take away when 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 we measure ourselves against whatever machines can can do all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's gonna that's a really interesting notion. You said you were kind of uh, doing more recent work in IoT and different ways of um, domestic environments. Um, can you can you say a little bit more about that, maybe? Yeah, sure. So I think another way of also thinking about smartness in the context of like yeah, IoT um, is thinking about for whom is it being cast as smart? Like mm. what is the audience? And and so. Um, and I'm by no means like the first person to bring this kind of critique up. It's it's quite evident when you just even look at the advertising, like the visual like advertising around like kind of smart home technologies and like IoT. It really is a vision of typically like a white heterosexual couple with children that live in a detached child, kind of a like middle to upper middle class to upper class like home, very sleek, modernist aesthetics, and. Um, and that's really what's designed toward and marketed as for everyone. And we know that that's not like the reality. We know that 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 it has there has to be something different. 
And so we've been thinking around, especially within the home, like, well, fundamentally, like, what makes home um, and to whom? And um, and so we've been working with people that live in, I don't really like to say non-normal, we could just say different forms mm. of home, forms of home that and dwelling that's different from the, that mainstream vision. And so we've been working with people that live permanently um, in boats, fans, collective houses like that are very intentional where you may live with a number of you know kind of strangers quote unquote but for a very intentional set of values and practices um people that live within tiny homes people that are nomadic pet sitters people that Mm. are squatters and then like in in, in a real kind of like from their unique perspectives um from the bottom up trying to understand how they conceptualize what home is what is dwelling there and then within that like what what role could or maybe should not technology play and and um and so that's this has been kind of like a piecemeal like longer term effort where we've both been doing kind of design exercises with with cultural probes Mm -hmm. and also doing like longer term like just ethnographic Mm -hmm. work combined they kind of interpreting um what we're finding into more kind of speculative proposals some of which seem actually quite practical for the different circumstances specifically that Mm -hmm. they may say like mobile dwellers or collective dwellers are living in and some of which really um uh, manifest a critique on kind of some of the like um, um, kind of like almost like idiocy of, of like the, the kind of sm- mainstream smart home kind of applications and technologies that we see that we really saw coming out of and directly like working with, with, the, yeah. with the communities that we've been engaged with. It, 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 I mean, it's, it's already quite uh, interesting to see that it's not easy to kind of engage these communities in research. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ethical problems around that as well. Um, um, but also, I find it interesting the way you talk about it. It's it's already very different to kind of the mainstream narrative of of IoT because you're not identifying a problem. You know, it's like mobile dwellers or people who live in a van. They surely need to, you know, these are our assumptions about their needs. Yeah. And and if you start from that, you kind of fall into the solutionism yeah. that is so prone in everything that is IoT. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, f- I find that. Quite, quite interesting. So, so how do you get to meaningful roles of technology in their lives? What, what do you hear back in, in kind of contrast to that mainstream narrative? Yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting things, actually. Um, I'll, so just for some examples, um, starting with really understanding quite uh, more diverse ways of thinking about ownership, for example, mm-hmm. and, and particularly within collective homes, but it kind of expanded out beyond that. So this notion of like, it's just like what's yours and mine, the vision of social space is very fluid and, you know, in some ways quite different from a more kind of, we could say, kind of traditional family, single family like dwelling. And so even within that, it starts to, to open up a lot of different ways of thinking about how you might configure space um, uh, with different types of uh, technologies like um, and demarcate and better understand how with even in the home there could be more fluid boundaries um, as well as, uh, um, yeah, again, as I was saying, yeah, thinking about ownership as going beyond a single person, but also, also with the, just in the way in which like digital files and operating systems are created, it, they're almost like it's so ingrained at the base part that it's like separated and regimented. And it's so hard to have these ideas of like kind of joint ownership. You're a different user, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. The idea that the collective is one. Um, another thing I'll mention too, that's quite interesting is like this, like the kind of, so the really interesting spectrum between fully connected 
and totally disconnected. Because mm. the vision of like the mainstream, you know, kind of smart home is like always connected, or at least the infrastructure is always there. Not only is electricity, but it's kind of you know network connection and and tied into to so many other kind of things. And so this notion that that like the infrastructure, some of the infrastructure may be there sometimes, but not all of it. And and kind of dealing with the kind of the porousness of connectivity mm. um, and like digital connectivity, and in some and in some cases really celebrating that. In some cases, needing it and understanding that, like working with, like let's say, mobile dwellers, where it goes both ways, and it's not so like black and white, and, and actually that middle zone is really quite interesting, or not even the middle, the spectrum between totally connected and disconnected. And I actually think that we could learn a lot for how we might envision creating technologies in general, but both for these specific populations, but also when we think about the long-term sustainability of having devices and things like around us the sociocultural kind of issues that that brings and like, and really like having, yeah, having ideas like being able to think about more localized, I mean, I mean, ultra like household dweller, like localized forms of like time, Mm. which we know like it's often quite shaped at least by technology and being always on it connected Mm -hmm. to a network and understanding that there's a lot of value within that spectrum in between. And that might really help us think both on like an engineering level, but on a kind of conceptual level, Mm -hmm. how we can think about a different possible it's interesting because it reminds me of like uh, I know a lot of families who who kind of have connected their router to a, um, a, a switch, you know, that yeah. kind of automatically switches it off at ten p.m. because they don't want to have the kids yeah. to kind of sit in their room and be on, uh, online after that time, and then yeah. it comes back on at seven a.m. or whatever, right? So they they deliberately kind of create that coarseness of connectivity because that's what whatever kind of um, works with their family so and so I wonder you know when you when you kind of explore these kind of um, patterns with with alternative ways of dwelling or with people who live in different ways do you think that that could kind of uh, influence also more of the, of the problems of the mainstream because I, I think you know the, the smart home is an idea that's been around for so long and it's, and it's it's quite obvious that it's not as successful as it as it's marketed right and, and there are many many problems even in the mainstream even the glossy kind of description of your smart fridge nobody wanted right yeah um, and and I wonder whether you know going to the margins and, and exploring some of the problems there and, and taking up some ideas might actually help us even in the mainstream, even if we kind of go for it, the big markets to kind of have more meaningful roles for technology. Mm-hmm. Is that something that like you could imagine coming out of your, your work there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, um, so I, I just like one kind of interesting example or like anecdote was um, that I'll give you in terms of like this kind of oscillation between connectivity and disconnectivity was um, we had uh, one household that lived on a boat uh, lives on a boat within kind of Vancouver and would take kind of trips out into the Pacific and um, and it was like they found that like each year on their summer vacation where they would be kind of cruising around islands to the north that the the line for digital, like cellular and mobile network connectivity continued to move up, like move further north, okay. which was influenced by um, uh, more kind of, well, they'd noticed a lot of more yachts and like kind of rich. And so, and so what was interesting with this was like, 
on the one hand, it was like they, they would want to kind of try to get away from it. And that, that was the purpose, kind of the vacation. But every once in a while, I mean, they were like, it was like work that had to be done, that had to be like kind of finished for a client emailed. And so they had this sense of awareness of where the shifting line was. And so they could kind of dip back down and, you know, kind of send off like whatever, like emails and then quickly like retreat. And there was something like, I think that was really like nice about that, that example where it was like, they were doing well, just knowing where those like permeable boundaries are and then being able to acknowledge them for them, like kind of like within that, the specific family was mm-hmm. a way of, you know, kind of like living like the best of both worlds. And I think that we have a long way to go with the kind of sociocultural like expectations and norms that we're like working within now. But I think that like over time, having ways of better understanding, like where these boundaries, like these little like technical, and then having abilities to, you know, maybe enforce or create them and, and also in ways that's not so maybe as even as binary like mm-hmm. as, as that it's so to have a more kind of porous way of engaging with kind of connectivity i think is one that's really interesting and that could influence more broadly how we think about creating mm-hmm. technologies because i think we all feel it like the the over connection just the too it's just too much and so mm-hmm. i think yeah thinking about like technology that could help disrupt that a lot of your practice is very um Specific. It's the ultimate polygma particular, right? That that you're creating with your your artifacts that you use to kind of probe into this social material world, and and they're generating really interesting questions. Um, if you have to kind of be a consultant to a big company and it's like you know, let's rethink IoT, uh, your your portfolio, or it's like. How can how can we learn from these kind of very specific, very designerly practices that you kind of do in your studio, um, in in a context where you can actually have to produce a product that you then would be marketing and and putting out there? I mean, you, you speak a lot about you know guiding. Um, I wouldn't call it principles, but lenses that you know you could you could put on your design like randomness or, or ambiguity or you know the, the slowness of the technology um, but how do you actually kind of then influence actual product cycles or actual product design uh, processes is that some you know how, how do you how do you how would a company how would you consult a company that does IT <laughs> yeah, I'm that I'm job it. job out here. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's 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 a complicated question. I mean, I think that there's not like a straightforward answer to that. I mean, like, because I think that to 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 have like a quick like one like this is the way to do it. I think it's, it's just more complicated. Mm. I mean, I think that like, I think I mean, for me, I would say doing it through exemplars. So like mm. thinking through like what is the the ultimate kind of goal that they're looking to achieve and. Like then, how could that be manifested, or you know, like, or kind of critically thought through with design? I mean, I think I, I, it's not exactly a direct answer to your question, but I think that like one of the questions that comes up with the kind of slow technology research is this notion that like, well, you know, um, technically, like on the, the, the platform, maybe like the microcontroller, like the Raspberry Pi, or maybe even some of the PCBs that we make for the different designs, like you know, in five years, who knows? Like in some X amount of time they will like break there is like a, a time limit on them whereas like the Honduran mahogany the 18 gauge steel <laughs> the five like you know layers of paint like that will persist much longer so so then should you even be doing that and like i think that the i think that that 
is all they're well-intentioned questions, but it falls within this very like techno-deterministic look where it's to say, well, inversely, we could say then, well, we could just wait until the perfect, you know, most robust technology, like microcontroller, or microcomputer, or circuit board that could last fifty to a hundred years. We can wait until that arrives, and then design can start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I guess it's like I guess, I'm trying to use this as an example to say like design has to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only approach, but it needs, and I mean, in, in like really fully conceptualizing and fleshing out possibilities. Because, that, because I think when you get to a situation like the, the, with the question that you just posed, it's common that people may pivot towards like, oh, like platforms. Mm-hmm. We need to like create, you know, like more open platforms that allow people to, you know, easily work with like sensing and develop. And that's true. That has an important role to play. But that's not going to be like in this kind. That's not going to be like the finite solution because we see that then it becomes so simplistic that the, what's possible is so constrained. Yeah. And I think we want to support like idiosyncratic like for people to you know ultimately in their actual real everyday lives to support them being able to apply you know or to have the choice to apply this kind of sensing machine learning actually all the stuff that comes with like IoT that fit their own desires and needs. Um, but I don't know that it's going to be like realized like that mm. way. I don't know that it's going to, and so I, in that sense, like I, it would be, I don't know how it would immediately just help a company understand how they can make money more immediately from, because yeah. I think it's more complicated there's, than that. There are different pressures on it as yeah. well, right? I mean, just like the amount of care that we, we just spoke about that on the way up here, actually, the amount of care that you take in building a certain artifact and, and you know, looking at the small details. And so it's all kind of going a little bit against like the, the, the rush to market that a lot of, particularly, you know, startups in IoT, you know, they, they need to do something quick and they, you know, they, they can't afford to kind of look sideways because they're just rushing down for the product. And and even just taking the time to 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 develop the product is is a luxury that a lot of these companies don't feel they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would probably agree with you that they should take that luxury and make you know, more meaningful products. And in the long run, you know, it might even be more more viable as a business. In that, but um, that that's a you know, it runs against the culture uh, in in innovation as we see it at the, at, at the moment. I, I was I was also interested in 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 your process. I mean, when when you step into these uh, contexts, you do, you obviously do a lot of like ethnography work um, to kind of get a sense of what kind of is the context that you're working in. Right? But then it seems that you take a very designerly approach and kind of retreat again and kind of work with your impression and then come up with something um, that you then pose as a as an intervention into that context. Have you ever worked in more participatory ways and kind of inviting people in to kind of actually design with you and make, make actual design decisions with you? Or is that if, if, uh, uh, um, in your practice you find that it's more important to kind of for you then to kind of really do your design on your own? So what's the tension there? It's like, would you give up some of your design decisions in participatory processes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see like that they're just like maybe somewhat different modes of inquiry, but they're both really important. And I wouldn't even say that one is more important than the other. Um, I, I think that on the one hand, the more very practice-based works that we kind of do, um, that I think tends to be somewhat necessary when we're also within this context of trying to understand 
and think about how we could do make more theoretical developments around this this notion of like what is slowness, what is technology within this very specific um, kind of practice, and what does that design practice look like, and from a practice based perspective. And so like that's like and you know that, those are tend to be like long term projects where we're oscillating between you know, higher level ideas and very 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 specific design details that take a very long time to resolve and require many many alternatives that. That would probably, on that sense, would be difficult to engage with people because it, it it's kind of going into it's answering a different question. It's trying to investigate, you know, kind of more theoretical and even philosophical ideas around. And for example, like how slowness can can be um, developed more conceptually as a design practice. Mm-hmm. But I would say for sure, I mean, like we tend to still like to adopt some form of like a designerly like way of engaging with people. So as an example. Um, more recently, yeah, working on with uh, people that are, that are in other different forms of dwelling that as either might be kind of difficult to access or sometimes even li- live in like legally kind of dubious or like gray areas, um, we did adopt a, a more of like a cultural probes like approach. Which that also, I mean, we really tried to get to know the people to some extent to which we could the participants we were working with, and then we we did engage in like a kind of a four month like process of designing the probe kit, really intentionally trying to think about them and create an open space for dialogue but also see they so they would see like we really really were trying to design to th- that person like you know mm-hmm. very specifically um and then that really it yielded very rich results which um had led to the kind of develop of some more kind of speculative almost like collages mm-hmm. of both like 2d kind of collages of both like returned things from the probe kits there was kind of like inspirations but also kind of record rich records of people's everyday kind of positions and, and like why they live in the situations that they are and what that's like um, and how society views them and how like other kind of social cultural groups view them and then some early ideas that were kind of like some design like responses but not not intended to be like a product or even a solution but intended to just like raise questions in a way that's a little just more concrete it's like mm-hmm. what do you think about it is a dot as a way of continuing the dialogue and so we put those together and now we're like working to like kind of re-engage with these people mm-hmm. it's a form of kind of co-speculation just because it gives like a, a starting point like a way of kind of engaging and, and previously as well um, we've worked on this this kind of method called user enactment or kind of where where we um, would bring people in and have them experience like into like literally like embodied like into a situation um, that would be in our studio that was kind of a, a somewhat like semi-social setting, like a living room. And they would have like a series of different kind of um, very brief kind of enactments or scenarios they would experience. And mm-hmm. so it was not at all that any of these scenarios were intended to be any kind of design to it for, for them that they should like or dislike. The point was that they could get um, a really brief glimpse at a number of different kind of future possibilities and then to have a real dialogue and say, you know, what would you want? What would you do? What do you not want? Mm-hmm. Where are the tensions arising? Why? And how can we get to a better future that would be more, you know, in, um, preferable for you and on and your unique experiences? Mm-hmm. Because with like IoT and new kinds of technologies, often they're so new, new, it's both hard to envision like what could be. Yeah. And it's also really hard to envision what the social boundaries of acceptability mm-hmm. and like ethical mm-hmm. boundaries are. And so we found particularly that particularly after they exist. Right? Yes, after they exist, after they exist. So that's like why we've kind of used these like so we call them like kind of more design oriented ways of engaging with people. But in a real, we look like to think of it as like kind of participatory, co speculative, kind of co working together mm. to work out what that 
future could be. I mean, a lot of these contexts are quite thorny, right? There, uh, mm-hmm. there is a lot of tension there, and, and a lot of issues and challenges. Uh, do, do you sometimes see yourself going down a more critical design, um, more provocative um, uh, route, where you kind of actually want to raise issues like homelessness, for example, in through through that work? Is it, I mean is the you could you could be much more provocative in that area, of course, right? And mm-hmm. in, in, in your co-speculation, and so like, this is how IoT will configure power in the future, and we actually need to be resilient, or uh, you know, in in that respect, or, or or step up against it and fight it, or whatever. Um, do, do you kind of see your work going in that direction sometimes as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, for sure, trying to, in, in some kind of way, even if it's piecemeal, but try to engage with much kind of bigger and, like, thornier issues, certainly. And I think that, like, some of that comes into intentionally knowing when you may have some speculative proposal or some kind of design scenario that you're writing, you're, you're using to have a conversation with people. You're, it's intentionally designed to, to try to surpass boundaries of, of, of acceptability. And not in a way that it is intended to be, you know... Um, like surface level or shallow, but in a way that then once that is like really past these really contentious points and 30 issues come up, then we can kind of understand like why and maybe get a be- much better sense of areas that completely avoid or to, mm-hmm. to, to really maybe even consider activism against. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that, that, that to me that's, that is, if not the most important, it's equally important as anything else that you would find. It's kind of like... Showing or, or or envisioning an alternative set of futures, right? That mm-hmm. is a contribution to the debate of which future we would like to have, and I think that's that's a very important role of these artifacts as well. That mm-hmm. you could actually speculate around, right? That's and um, and another and another aspect around this is, is that you do a lot of like very long term engagements, which I find really interesting. So you leave the stuff with the people for like half a year and then see how that develops, which is. Shockingly enough, it's quite uncommon in HCI actually, because most of the studies that you see is is is, is are shorter term, and then you just want to know whether it works or not. You know, how do you envision future roles of smart? If you if you had a chance to kind of um, sketch an utopia of us and smart things, you know, how how, how would that look like? I mean, is is how would we live with these smart things over a long period of times? Yeah, I mean, if I had envision my own utopia of us with smart things, is that it would be n- like maybe not that much different than now, and, and maybe like less distraction, like less noise. <laughs> but I think that, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that like it's 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 important to think through with these kind of like longer term there. If we, if we yeah, if we want to create something that might be in someone's life for like a long period of time, or maybe their whole life, or even anticipate what would it even look like to design something that could be passed down. Or pass horizontally, and in um, yeah, I think it's about like creating something that that like has a kind of like subtle yet cons- like somewhat perpetual um, uh, action um, or a kind of behavior, um, and that kind of uh, that continually kind of in- engages maybe in services like new ways of of prompting like thinking or like reflection on the part of the person like living with. Mm. and so in that sense I think that it's kind of interesting to, to think about how can we have these things that kind of are reflections of us or our family or you know social groups mm. that kind of slowly change um, but that kind of yeah, remain kind of like growing and, mm. and, and yeah so um, but I yeah I don't I mean it's also like I don't know that that's the strategy to apply to all 
IoT kind of like thing. I think that having stuff stuff that like really retreats into the background immediately or is, you know, very easily like kind of maybe like tangibly manipulable and, and has a particular, it's very simple maybe purpose. And it, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not like I think a, a, a universal design strategy for everything. But, yeah. yeah. But as you say, I think it really depends on the context, right? Yeah. In, in which you are. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, in, in energy consumption or, or water or any of these kind of more... Uh, basic infrastructure problems there is a different role for IoT to play than in in people's music consumption right that's mm-hmm. a that's a whole uh, kind of different area um maybe as a la- as a last kind of um, area I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about philosophy you kind of hinted um that philosophy became a productive lens for you to kind of think about the roles of these artifacts in people's lives and and you know because of your links to to um the netherlands and, and post phenomenology became um, um, an interesting lens for you in i wanted to ask in which way you you you, you benefit from these more uh, theoretical and philosophical perspectives on your work yeah that that's a great question i mean it's really even dating back all the way to when I did my master's thesis in like 2007 <laughs> it actually started with post-phenomenology right. <laughs> and, um, there's just like a real interest in like things and objects and why some things persist in people's lives and why others don't and clearly that's a, that's a complicated set of factors usually mm-hmm. some of course utilitarian but some symbolic and some are, are different than that so maybe be like more kind of material based or have, you may form a different type of relation with it over time where it becomes kind of intertwined across all these different mm-hmm. these, these kind of relations or perceptions um, and relationships you may have with a thing and so so post phenomenology um, and going back to like Peter Paul Verbeek's like mm-hmm. book What Things Do which I was like reading and integrating in my master's thesis like over 10 years ago was um, really influential because it gave kind of like a like a like a like a vocabulary or something that was like kind of generative, I think to like work with both generative, like analytically for philosophers to really kind of dig deep and understand like things and how they mediate our and shape what, what people's actions. And also mm-hmm. I think, I think like very generative for designers or cause we've kind of both in a way, even though philosophers and designers may, you know, their day to day, like actions may be somewhat different. It's like, I think that there's like a real concern as you say, for like the ultimate particular, very specific examples of things and context and, how things mediate and shape our like relation to and behavior and actions in the world. Mm. It's kind of a classic kind of philosophical concept. And then, and so I think, and particularly within like kind of um, more post-phenomenology and kind of contemporary philosophy of technology, I think that there's been some really exciting work that's like gone beyond just, you know, the hearth and the mill and, you know, the ability to have like heat and, you know, to cook food, you know, these were kind of classic things that have been looked at, but, you know, more like, you know, how does technology like the ultrasound, these like hot, you know, very like kind of complex things shape our relation to ourselves. In this case, in that exa- this kind of classic example, you know, to the unborn future possible like lives and how does that become all in, like mediated and shaped within a, in a large kind of complex political ecology. Um, so anyway, I mean, that, that's where... For me, that's been really useful because being able to kind of draw on this multitude of human technology relation kind of categories that, that are not like mutually exclusive, but that do give like some kind of constraints, you know, opportunities mm-hmm. for, for ways of thinking and designing towards and then understanding, you know, or trying to think about 
then when you kind of go from the kind of more abstract and you kind of take that down to a very specific domain, like so, you know, you have all the like metadata logs, all the music you've ever listened to in your life, like already, like, you know, that this technology is mediating our relations to like music listening and our mm. relationship to music in, in a different way. And so what would that mean from a design perspective? If you kind of think that through that with like as, as a design material and kind of again through this lens of like slow technology, which I think is trying to get at a more... I don't know if it's holistic, but at least like a deeper sense of relation and, and um, relationship through supporting a range of different types of relations. So you kind of, you know, maybe there is actually some kind of, you know, you could say like utilitarian or maybe kind of practical of it. There's also kind of like a background relation. There's, you know, and there's you know, hermeneutical or kind of material. And so it's like these things, I think, can be like really like generative and like open and inspiring to, to think about in that oscillation between the kind of abstract Mm. and you know the setting of the problem and the very practical very like nuts and bolts almost of how you kind of create an artifact that Mm. is intending to mediate and do something differently i think it's a really great example you 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 used that phrase quite a lot and you're talking now in 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 our conversation as well is oscillating between the ultimate particular and the high level theory and philosophy and i think that's a very productive way of I've actually applied the grand thinking also and making it very tangible in everybody's life. So. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the philosophy ultimately also kind of points us to the question, what is a good life, right? That's these really good grand questions. And, and, and they're, I think they're really powerful in kind of steering us into directions where we think of, you know, technology not as optimizing tools in something, but maybe, you know, be more critically reflective on what is a good life, what, what is meaningful technology in that good life that, mm-hmm. that I, find, I find very productive. Um, well, I'm, I'm conscious of time. Uh, we both didn't have lunch yet. So <laughs> thank you very much again for having that conversation. It was uh, really very interesting. Uh,